This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is a crowd podcast. Did you ever see that film, Catch Me If You Can? It's good. Spielberg flick. Leonardo DiCaprio plays a smarmy teenager called Frank Abagnale, who manages to convince everyone he's a secret agent, a pilot, a doctor, a lawyer. He's not any of those things. And there's an FBI agent hot on his heels, a guy called Carl, played by Tom Hanks, who just never quite manages to catch him. Frank is a kid, but you gotta admit, he's got sus. He tricks. My name's Alan, Barry Allen, United States Secret Service. Your boy just- And cons. What seems to be the problem? <laughs> Fractured tibia about five inches below the tail. And charms. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but you have the most beautiful eyes I have ever seen. And smarms. I do get that all the time. <laughs> and he's making quite a tidy little sum. How would you like him? Con men. They've been around since the beginning of time. Some of them get caught, but a lot of them don't. Ransomware attacks are happening every single day, in their hundreds, and they just pass us by. This is becoming an incessant, unforgiving, high-stakes war where the front line is online. You don't have to be a Fortune 500. No matter what size or scale you are, you're still a person, and that is still something that a threat actor can twist. And these threat actors? They're an army of Frank Abagnales, slippery but fallible. Right now, the brains behind what was the biggest single ransomware attack on record are sitting behind bars. Some of them got caught, but not all of them. And they've left a trail of destruction in their wake. Almost 30 years of hard work. I watched it all evaporate. I'm Katie Puckrick, and this is .com, The Hacking. Episode 3, Domino. Let me set the, the, the atmosphere or the, the mood even for you. It was July 2nd of 2021. It was probably one of the 10 best days of the year here in the New York area. This is Robert, Robert Chiaffi. Blue skies, maybe a few puffy clouds that you could look at, very sunny, very warm. One of those days where you open the windows and let the, the beautiful breeze and air come in. 
He's remembering Independence Day weekend in the United States last year. Robert's eyes are lit up, and the American flag that's hanging on the wall behind him in his study dominates the screen. My parents are uh, quite literally off the boat. They were peasants from the mountains of Italy, post-World War II, who were looking for a better life. So my parents landed in New York in 1959 with my oldest brother, who was only two months old at the time, and built a whole life here. They came here with a trunk of clothes and literally not even a nickel in their pocket. So they've uh, been able to put four sons through college and build a life for themselves truly experienced the American dream. And about 30 years after his parents land in New York, Robert sets up his own company. I was a few years out of college and got together with a high school college buddy of mine and started Progressive Computing. Progressive Computing. It's basically an outsourced IT services company slap bang in the middle of Yonkers, where the skyline of New York City dominates the horizon. He talks about it like it's his baby. Computers are a pretty complex organism. Everybody thinks as a computer as an, a, a fixed appliance, almost like a blender or a toaster. You plug it in, you turn it on, and it just works. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. You have to think about a computer as a pet, right, or a child, or a living organism. It needs care and maintenance. It needs to be updated. It needs somebody to watch over its health. And that's where Robert comes in. Say you're a coffee vendor and you just can't sort out your online payment system or link your website to your email or the million other things you need to run a business. You're only one person after all. So you get Robert to do it for you. Whether it's selling coffee or you know trading on Wall Street or delivering healthcare services, whatever the case may be. His company's not big. He's got about 70 clients now, though that's down from this time a year ago. There's a fancy acronym for companies like Robert's, MSPs, Managed Service Providers, the IT Army. And New York is heaving with MSPs like Robert's. There is a feel, if you would, I'll use the term fraternity or sorority. Uh, we are all brothers and sisters uh, in this community. Very often, if I run into an individual who is in the same business as mine, but they're a virtual stranger to me, there is an instant bond and connection. We have a lot to talk about and we appreciate what each other does. But on this one hot holiday weekend in early July last year, Robert's looking forward to having the weekend off and Monday too. They're celebrating to do. It's been 245 years since the 13 colonies on North America's East Coast said no thank you to King George of Britain and declared themselves an independent free land, the United States of America. So on this weekend in July, the mood is infectious, happy, Busy, noisy, fireworks, bangs, oohs and ahs. There's live music, baseball games, picnics, families a frolicking. America the beautiful. We're all very much looking forward to the family barbecues. I had a boat ride on the Hudson River lined up and three different events that we were doing with you know different families in the neighborhood. And many of our customers were also sort of winding down for that three-day weekend. So we also weren't very busy. It's Friday, a little after 12. Robert's just got one more afternoon of work to get through. Then he can finish up, go outside, 
grab the sun. So I was in my kitchen having lunch, looking forward to winding down the day so I could start my long three-day weekend. And I noticed that my operations director, a gentleman by the name of Jay, had come up a flight of stairs from our first floor. I was sitting on the second floor in our kitchen. Something's up. Jay was uh, walking quickly, erratically. He looked lost. Uh, Not typical for Jay, not, you know, especially one of my senior leaders here. Uh, So I got up, I met him sort of at the threshold of the kitchen door and the end of this hallway. And I looked at him and I said, Jay, what is wrong? Physically, he was bone white. He lost all the complexion in his face. He was sweating. His eyes were darting everywhere. And I said, Jay, what, again, like a second time, what is wrong? And he looked at me and he said, all of our customers are ransomware. One customer being hit by ransomware is bad enough, but here Jay is telling Robert that every single one of their customers is down. That fateful message has appeared and they can't get onto their computers. It wasn't just one customer with 20 computers, it was all of them with 2,500 computers. So instantly, I was, you know, quizzing him, almost like, you know, uh, in a police station as a police officer might, like, question a witness. What do you mean? Like, and he was like, no, Robert, it's all of them. And I can't be all of them, Jay. It's all of them. And he started to list their names, and my brain could not process what he was saying to me because that was, at the time, about 80 different customers that we were supporting with 200 physical sites in four different time zones with about 2,500 computers in total. And for all of them to be ransomware was unthinkable. Robert knows all about ransomware. The attack on Ireland's healthcare system is still in full swing, and the southern states of the US are critically short of oil following the colonial pipeline attack. But those guys, they're big companies with money. Surely ransomware gangs have bigger fish to fry than little progressive computing in Yonkers. But it's true. The phones start ringing. Off the hook. Robert's customers, the coffee vendors, and the Wall Street dogs, they want to know why they can't log on. At this point now, I can hear and even see in the office people's expressions because everybody has now a phone in their ear and they're all trying to manage very upset and, you know, angry or confused uh, incoming phone calls. They're not happy. They're paying Robert tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to look after their computers. And now he's telling them he doesn't know what's wrong? You know, they were watching their own businesses proverbially, like, go up in smoke. How do you conduct business without a computer these days? I don't know. And then... Robert sees it for himself. He goes into his office, sits down at his computer, and starts clicking away. Trying to understand what was happening and logging into various systems is when I suddenly saw what had happened to every one of my customers firsthand. Every single icon on my desktop started to change from what it normally looks like, let's say an Excel document or a Word document that has that specific Microsoft uh, icon that represents the document, everything started to turn white, which is the telltale sign of what happens when a criminal installs ransomware on your computer and locks things up. Almost 30 years of hard work, 
in building up a reputation in this industry and in my local community and looking forward to, you know, retirement at one point in time. In that instant in time, I watched it all evaporate right before my eyes. And I had no ability to stop it from happening because the damage was already done. The skies darken. The sounds of celebration become muffled and distant because as Robert's about to find out, this isn't just an assault on him. It's a supply chain attack. Simply put, this is by far the largest ransomware incident. First of all, we know that hackers love these holiday weekends because they think that everybody- All around the country, all around the world, lights are flicking off, icons on screens turning white. Soon, the computers and the offices of around 2,000 businesses would be encrypted. It's schools, it's small public sector companies, it's travel and leisure organizations. It's not necessarily just big business here, is it? Sweden's supermarkets will be forced to shut their doors and people in rural areas cut off from groceries for a week. And kindergartens and schools across New Zealand will be knocked offline. The malware is twisting through a global system, and Roberts just found himself tangled up in the biggest single ransomware incident of all time. It feels like you're in an unwinnable war. I've got a thousand troops, but I'm surrounded by one million enemy, right? And in fact, they've already taken away all my weapons, so I, I don't even know how to fight them. Hello, it's Tom here, part of the .com team. Eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals. Always fresh, never frozen. Each meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. I'm a flexitarian, so with a weekly menu of 35 options, there's plenty for me to choose from. Last night, I had the Moroccan-style almond-crusted salmon, and it was delicious. If you want more than meals, there's over 60 add-ons like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks and smoothies to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. And if you're looking for gourmet options, you can try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini and asparagus. Customise your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. You can always pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. So what are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash thehacking50 and use code thehacking50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code thehacking50 at factormeals.com slash thehacking50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. You're listening to .com The Hacking. Welcome back. We do try to take our holidays and vacations the best that we can, but there is a certain amount of uncertainty now whenever we see, oh, it's a, it's a three-day weekend. John Hammond. John's a well-known hacker and security researcher, and I was fuzzed up to get into it with him. But the first time we were supposed to talk didn't quite work out. He had to reschedule last minute. It turns out he'd been pedaled to the metal over the whole Memorial Day weekend. Cyber attacks were coming from left, right, and center, and he'd had to cancel all his weekend plans. His girlfriend's used to it, he tells me. 
the need for cybersecurity has blown up in the last few years, with everyone now working from home. So we catch up a few weeks later instead. John works for a company called Huntress. Threat Hunters, they call themselves. They work with MSPs, those outsourced IT companies like Roberts. So as Robert is sitting in his office, watching, horrified as his icons turn white, Huntress is one of the first to jump in to figure out what's going on. As John puts it, they were the... Boots on the ground, in the trenches with everyone else, trying to be on the front lines. John's had to tell his girlfriend he won't be able to spend the 4th of July weekend celebrating. He can see right away this is not a normal attack. It seemed like the only commonality between these three or so machines and organizations being compromised was that they're all managed by the Kaseya VSA software. And we thought, hmm, that's a little too peculiar. Kaseya VSA. You don't really need to know what it is. It's just a software that's used mainly by MSPs, like Roberts. So if you target that one piece of software, you've hit the various MSPs and the thousands of companies those MSPs support, like dominoes, falling one by one by one. And John's watching it happen. He has no idea who's behind this thing or how to stop it. And they've got to move fast. Because we rapidly saw that number increase from three affected organizations to eight, to 15, to 20, to 30. Across the globe, lovely high-tech computers are being turned, for all intents and purposes, into bricks. Useless. Hospitals, medical organizations, it could be schools, it could be universities, it could be lawyers in their attorney locations, it could be municipalities, government space, police stations, anything that a MSP might support. This is completely unprecedented in the twisted universe of ransomware. It spreads like wildfire, from Kaseya's offices in Florida, to MSPs like Roberts and Yonkers, to his clients all over the world. So very, very rapidly, that number 30 multiplies out to 1,000, 1,500, maybe, I don't know, close to 2,000 businesses and organizations broken down for that weekend in the holiday. That domino effect, that trickle-down, downstream impact, that's something that is extremely attractive to threat actors because it's more bang for their buck. It's work smarter, not harder. And they really are hoping to get more bang for their buck. The hackers are making a global demand of 70 million paid in Bitcoin. Here's Robert, our Italian-American MSP guy. Their demand was also $5 million for every MSP company like me uh, that I could get an unlock key for all of my customers, uh, or it was $45,000 per file. So if I wanted to unlock only Word documents, it would have costed $45,000. And obviously there's way more than just one or two files uh, to unlock uh, when you're talking about 2,500 computers. When reporters and you know journalists, they're, they're trying to get a cool uh, headline that will get a lot of eyeballs and attention, they want to say, oh, who is the target? John, the security researcher. Were they going after country XYZ or, or region of the world ABC as if there's some political agenda? No. The reality is there is no target. Threat actors will spray and pray across the internet, and if you just happen Okay, to be a victim of that, uh, 
it sucks, but it happens. Do you think that uh, it's something that could happen to anyone and, mm. and actually ruin people's lives on a really local level? Yeah, there is a certain stigma between organizations and businesses that might think, oh, I'm not going to be a target. They're going to go after the big big players in the game. They're bigger fish to fry. Who cares about a mom and pop shop? Like local, little old me. I think the reality is threat actors and hackers don't care because you are information. At the end of the day, your valuable data that can be converted into money. I'm interested that uh, the Kaseya attack wasn't launched with a phishing email. I'm wondering if that is rare because I was under the impression that most ransomware attacks started with phishing emails. Ooh, yeah. So that's a super cool, uh, and cool in my opinion, <laughs> uh, perspective on threat actors and hackers, right? Because a phishing email relies on sort of scamming or deceiving or tricking the end user. This is normally effective and really strong, and that's something that, again, threat actors love because it works. You can pretty easily fool the vulnerability that is human beings. But there's a conditional there, right? You have to trick that human being. If a threat actor could just target a known weakness or vulnerability within computers, within machine code, not the squishy meat human being, right? Then there is no dependency. There is no variable. There's no if. They can just go beat it up. They're not waiting on the human to unknowingly give them access. So in this case, you're totally right. It, it didn't rely on a phishing email, but it didn't have to. You're talking about it almost like it's a living organism. It's a <laughs> like a virus that feeds off of people's weaknesses and preys on them. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, I think, hey, the threat actors, they look for the low-hanging fruit. They look for what's easy. So it's chaos. Kaseya's offices in Florida are mayhem. And up in Yonkers, Robert's dealing with a chorus of confusion, phones ringing off the hook, and angry clients. The promise of laughter and family barbecues over the holiday weekend has flown out of the window like that. It's not long before a post appears on the dark web. It's on the blog of a ransomware gang called R Evil. Happy blog, it's called. Oh yeah, that attack? Yep, that was us, they're announcing. They'd found a security flaw in Kaseya software, a chink in the armor, and cranked it right open. Our evil is large and in charge in the ransomware world, battling Conti for that queen bee spot. And they are the gang who made ransomware as a service a thing. Which means, if you got a little ransomware mission in mind, you can buy everything you need from them. John. Oh, hey, do you want to change the desktop wallpaper to something like this? Do you want the kind of encryption to be RSA, AES, Blowfish, any blah, 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 encrypting mechanism? All those things could be customizable variants and you could, I don't know, in, in a strange buffet style, choose whatever assortment that you'd like and as if someone would provide it for you, like a service, like a hacker for hire. And it was these guys who are now going for Robert. We're all victims of criminals. So let's just get that clear and straight on the record, right? Nobody did anything wrong here. There are security flaws in every piece of software that you use in the cars that you drive, in the refrigerators in our homes now, or our thermostats, or the computers that we use, right? There's flaws in everything. 
Um, so these guys, you know, these bad guys did some bad stuff to some very good people and some very good companies. You don't have to be a Fortune 500. No matter what size or scale you are, you're still a person, and that is still something that a threat actor can twist and take advantage of. So, Ryan, I'm curious about the fact that holidays, apparently, are the prime time for these attacks. Why is that? Shh, what are you doing? It's a holiday in the U.S. today. <laughs> Don't say, yes. Ryan Chapman, ransomware expert. There are many opportunistic attacks in regard to the United States and the U.K., and our holiday schedules because they know that folks like myself, you know, I quote unquote have today off, right? Do I have today off? No, I mean, we're recording this today and I have about four hours work after this to do. And then maybe I'll have, you know, half a day for family time. But in general, they know that many organizations, they're not going to have the, uh, their eyes on the prize as much as they normally would on a holiday or a holiday weekend. And that's the primary aim. Many of these attacks will occur on the you know, United States time, evening or late night, uh, for example, on a Friday, even if it's not a holiday. And this is a pattern I've started to notice. The attack on Ireland's healthcare. At around 1 a.m., 1.10 a.m. On a Friday. JBS, the meat supplier. Reportedly paying the ransomware hackers who breached its computer networks about $11 million. On a Friday. The Colonial Pipeline. The governor of North Carolina declaring a state of emergency as officials urged... On a Friday. And the attack that will force Lincoln College to close after changing the lives of Chicago's black kids for 160 years? Also on a weekend, just before Christmas. But that's a story for our next episode. Here's Ryan. For ransomware, what we truly see is they really want to go for... Uh, the most impact, but specifically with focus on psychological pressures. That's what ransomware is all about, is psychological pressure, 110%. So these attacks that come late at night, the attacks that come on the weekend, they're taking advantage of the fact that not only are these organizations not at all prepared, but it's the opportune time to psychologically push them into a corner and just increase the fervor of like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And that's the question. What are you going to do? These are your options. You pay up and hope you get your files back in their original state. But remember what Ryan said, the more businesses pay, the more this will never go away. Or you don't pay and you hope you've got a backup. Otherwise, it's bye-bye to your files. There is a third option, though negotiate. Try to bargain. When the attack starts, a message box pops up on your screen so you can talk to the gang. And unfortunately, the negotiations are typically, again, psychological pressures. They will not be nice. There is nothing nice about that conversation. It will be the exact opposite. They will make threats over and over and over, and they will use curse words and be very, very rude and just try to scare the heck out of you, and they're usually very successful in doing so. So it's very dangerous to engage with a threat actor. Um, usually they have their own negotiators for ransomware because their job is to scare the heck out of you, and they're, they're going to. 
And can you actually barter with them, though? Is there any wiggle room? Oh, yes. Uh, it depends on the affiliate and their mood that day. And, you know, maybe some of them may have, like, contractual obligations. They have their own service level agreements. You have to make $100,000 a month. You know, something silly like that. But, uh, yes, many of these ransoms that, are, that end up being paid are talked down quite a bit. Negotiations really take skill, not just general negotiation skill, but negotiating with these particular types of people, because that's what they are, they're people. We're back in the office, where we left Robert watching the icons on a screen go white. It's only been a few hours since the attack started, and Robert and John have already leapt into action. And it doesn't take them long to realize, sure, this is a highly sophisticated, devastating attack, but the gang's been sloppy. Because here's the thing. This has all happened extraordinarily quickly. A little too quickly. Our evil broke into Kaseya at 10 a.m., reached Robert 49 minutes later, and just an hour after that, Robert's colleague, Jay, comes running up the stairs, pale and stammering. They've been found out. This isn't a slow and low attack. It's a rushed panic, smash and grab, meaning they didn't even have enough time to steal any data. What it really came down to is they just made a gigantic mess, a massive mess, <laughs> an awful mess. I mean, a business ending mess, but not exfiltrating data. We then knew, okay, we just need to restore from backup, right? A couple of hours before would be a safe point in time that we can say, let's say 8 a.m. that morning, if we restore systems to that point, we're good. Kaseya's not coughing up 70 million for the decryptor, so Robert's got to get his files back himself. We thank our lucky stars and the angels in heaven that were smiling upon us because we were able to recover, out of the 250 servers that were affected, 250 of them. A momentous sigh of relief. It's an insane achievement. It took Cahill about nine weeks to get everything back up and running. It takes Robert 17 days. And he says he couldn't have done it without his MSP pals all around him. That New York IT community, the sorority, the fraternity, he calls them. Many of them sounded the alarm amongst themselves and said, these guys are in a lot of trouble and they need some help. So they start piling in from around the country. California, Kansas, Minnesota, Texas, Florida, Massachusetts. They're far. Some of them are three time zones away. Um, some of them are thousands of miles away. And they came here not just themselves, but also with some of their best engineers uh, to help us in the recovery efforts. And is the only way that we were able to get through that recovery as quickly as we were able to. But even so, he's been left hurting. Progressive computing loses a lot of business after this. The clients feel they couldn't be trusted. How could they have let this happen? So, um, you know, the, 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 the calculation here is anywhere between 15 and 20% of our top line revenue. Um, that eventually walked out the door. It's hard not to notice Robert's tone. You can hear his pride's been hurt. Robert was tricky to track down. John put us in touch with him, and that's the only reason why he agreed to talk with us, because business owners don't really want to talk. They don't want the world to know when they've been hit. 
Look what happened to Robert. Most clients stayed, but some packed up their bags and left as soon as they could. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I talk quite a bit about the range of and depth of emotion that we went through that initial few days and then even in the weeks and months that followed and quite frankly, even to this day, like I don't want to make it sound like it's over because it's not. Uh, however, um, most communication crisis management people will tell you, limit the information, uh, don't talk about it. And then there's this shame that comes in that we did something wrong, even though we didn't do anything wrong, but emotionally it felt like we did something wrong, right? Even though we didn't. And that's when I started to realize, you know, in my entire life, I've never been really a serious victim of anything. But here I was feeling a high level of shame about it. And I started to sense in the community as well, all of my uh, friends out there, both with vendors and other MSPs like us, that they were treating me like I was on my deathbed, right? Um, and treating me with kid gloves and like walking on eggshells. And I started to realize that there should be no shame in this victimhood. I mean, I got beat up. I did nothing wrong. In fact, I did a lot of right things. And despite that, I still got my butt kicked. Most MSPs that you talk to live in terror of them. I refuse to give in to that terrorism. But it doesn't end there. There's one final intriguing chapter in our evil story. The attack on Kaseya is huge. It's too big to ignore. Very quickly, a message reaches the White House and President Biden picks up the phone and makes a call direct to Vladimir Putin. Then he does a press conference. After which, his spokesperson also reiterates the message. It, he underscored the need uh, for President Putin to take action to disrupt these ransomware groups. Uh, this is a PR first for the president when it comes to ransomware. Why now? There had been countless devastating ransomware attacks before this one, stemming from Russian gangs. So what changed? Why is this the attack that finally makes Biden pick up the phone and address the nation? Four days after that phone call, on July the 13th, something happens. John. Revol, suddenly, their, their online happy blog or their, their publishing website, their leak site, it just went offline. It just fell off the face of the internet. And we thought, oh, did, did Revol vanish? Oh, was this government intervention? Was this, oh, the FBI pulling some strong arm? I don't know. Uh, I, I can only speculate. Curious. But it doesn't stop there. Our evil comes back. They've rebranded and are ready for more. They resume operations and a couple of their members are caught. But then the new year starts. It's 2022 and it's not clear why now, but the crackdown begins. In the early hours of January the 14th, which eerily was a Friday, the FSB, Russia's intelligence agency, storms 25 addresses across Moscow, St. Petersburg, Leningrad, and Lipetsk. 14 people are arrested, core members of Our Evil. 
One of the guys sitting in prison right now in Texas is a 22-year-old Ukrainian who, honestly, looks about 14. But it was this guy who deployed the ransomware that took down Kaseya. 145 years in prison if he's found guilty. The FSB also seizes $6.6 million in cash, more than half a million in crypto, some computer equipment, and 20 luxury cars bought using ransom money. And this was all, interestingly, at the request of Biden. Intriguing timing. This was January 2022, not exactly the peak of Russia-US diplomatic relations. So why the sudden display of cooperation? Here's John. Hmm. Part of me wonders if there is a certain amount of, I can't say fear, but a concern for how much noise they might make, for how much trouble they'll get in or how much worldwide fire they'll, they'll cause, right? Revil, without a doubt, maybe set the internet on fire for a little bit on, on this sort of thing. And we've seen the fallout, especially between all the rest of the story as it unfolded months later. So was it right time, right place for, to be able to make that arrest? Was it just they had the information, they had the knowledge, maybe they don't for others? Or was it, hey, you've made more of a mess than we wanted <laughs> or expected or, or you should have? It's now more than a year on from the attack, and I had my eyes on the news during this year's July 4th holiday weekend. But at the time of recording, there's been nothing. We emailed John to see if we missed anything, but he replies, we're on high alert, but thankfully, all was quiet. Seems he was able to celebrate the fireworks with his girlfriend after all. But it feels like a waiting game. Arresting the key members of one of the world's biggest ransomware gangs is like cutting off one head of a 50-headed dog. Another one with sharper, bloodier teeth just fills its place faster than you can say ransom. Here's a final line from Robert. Would I extend a little bit of empathy for whatever uh, path was put before them in life that led them to behave or act in this way? And I would say, sure, yeah, uh, I would have a little bit of empathy, um, especially some of the individuals that were caught were in their early 20s. You know, they're adults, but how much life experience do they have? What kind of a crappy life did they have that led them to that? I'm not saying to let them go, but um, there's a famous individual here in the United States uh, by the name of Frank Abagnale. They made a movie about him called Catch Me If You Can, right? Starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. A lot of people know the film, but don't know the backstory. Frank Abagnale was a real life human being. He actually grew up like 10 miles from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, he's a local to, to my area. And this is a guy who perpetuated a lot of social engineering crimes and check and bank fraud over the years. And when he was finally captured, um, he was given two choices by the FBI. They said, you can either rot in jail for the rest of your life, or you can teach us everything that you, and you can come work for us, right? And I think he smartly opted for option two. Um, now he still was punished and he still, you know, uh, paid his debt to society. But if there's a path, if there's a way for these individuals to pay their debt to society, I think we should explore that. 
in a funny little twist that seems fitting in a world of spies and backstabbing and the slippery digital frontier, the evidence that Frank was actually hired by the FBI uh, is shaky. The most compelling statements insisting on his Secret Service credentials come from Frank's own website, abignail.com. So, uh, but Robert makes an interesting point. These gangs are made up of people. They manipulate in a way only people can. Their members make greedy, dumb, unethical decisions to the destruction of the world around them. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, what sort of people do we want to be in response? But there's a big, fat elephant in the room that we haven't addressed yet. The Russia question. Why Russia? Does Mr. Putin know about these gangs? Does he work with them? Yeah, I know they're angry, and in their mind, they probably have reasons for why they're doing this. But I'm just going to say, like, their actions affect more than just the people that they're trying to hurt. And in a world where Russophobia is becoming scarily normalized, what about the other countries where ransomware gangs thrive? Russia is a hurricane, but China is climate change. Because Russia might be the biggest, but it's certainly not the only one. That's next time on .com The Hacking. .com is a Crowd Network original and is presented by me, Katie Puckrick. It's written and produced by Anna Stauffenberg and is edited by Crawford Blair. The music we use is from our partners, BMG Production Music. If you want another crowd podcast to listen to, check out We Didn't Start the Fire. It's a modern history podcast where the delicious Tom Fordyce and I take the lyrics from the song by Billy Joel, and then we use them as our guidebook through all the people, places, things, dramas of the post-war world. From the Beatles to bombs, from Maryland to the mafia. Just search We Didn't Start the Fire in your podcast app. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.